Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Well, thanks for coming. Praise the Lord. I, uh, I don't exactly know... Um, I don't exactly know everything that Eric has planned. Eric is actually, you're going to get to know him real well. He's a missionary uh, to Belfast, North Ireland. He's been uh, uh, trained at our institute and sent out. um, And uh, we've got about uh, three other families that are going to be joining him for that church plant in Ireland this year. And they're all really good families that we actually need. So if you ever start actually planting churches as a pastor, there's the evil pastor who is the pragmatist, and then there is the sincere pastor who just wants to serve the Lord, and you are going to tick off the evil pragmatist pastor when you actually start doing this, because it is scary. And sometimes I look at Eric, and I'm actually kind of mad at him. Like... I can't believe these families are going and he's going to be their pastor and it makes me, it makes me angry. But that's just only when I'm in the flesh, which is only 80% of the time. The other 20, I'm, constant, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly abiding 20% of the time. Um, but I, uh, I don't want anybody to be misunderstood. Uh, I, I don't want to be misunderstood by anybody, rather. Listen, I am not saying uh, that anyone has ever done discipleship wrong. I'm so thankful for Brandon's presentation. Um, This is not um, some portal of truth that I think that I have found to correct all of the good work that these discipleship churches, uh, these uh, disciple-making churches have done. Um, When when I am presenting corrections, I am presenting corrections. Hey, sir, could you do me a huge favor? I have a weird thing. Could you close that... uh, our, okay, or just anybody. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate it. The dude just totally blew me off. Okay, all right. I feel like I'm at home. Could, could, could somebody do something? No? Okay, that's cool. I love you. Uh, man. So I am, I am simply making corrections to what Wildwood has done wrong. And, and, and I, I mean that in, in sincerity. Um, uh, praise God for the group of churches that caught on to this idea of discipleship. And, and uh, what we did is we made some flaws up front in our implementation of discipleship. And then the Lord showed us how to correct those flaws. And once we made those corrections we really began to take off, and everything that we had been doing all of a sudden made sense. It was kind of like, if you will, it was kind of like the Karate Kid. Our discipleship ministry was going out into Mr. Miyagi's backyard and painting and sanding and waxing crap that we didn't even know what we were doing anymore. I shouldn't have said crap, I'm sorry. My wife told me not to say that word this week. So, so, but, but, but doing that stuff, but there was no All-Valley Tournament. There was no hot girl named Allie. There was no Cobra Kai. It was just Mr. Miyagi's backyard. Zero context. We were making making disciples 
that would be faithful to our version of our discipleship ministry. That's what we were doing. And we were doing, if I, you don't mind my saying, a dang good job of it. But the problem is when you're discipling people to be faithful to a discipleship ministry, all you're doing is you're producing just enough oil to run the oil refinery. And then so then what are you even doing? And so I learned this at, when I was at Bob Jones University. I, I, I didn't learn much at Bob Jones University. So, so when I was there, I'm really proud of what I learned. Uh, and I learned this little ditty uh, that has become more and more profound the, the more that I have done ministry. Evangelistic unction makes orthodoxy function. There is nothing that we do. Forget discipleship. There is actually nothing that we do in our church that if it's being done in spite, or in spite of or through the circumvention of evangelism, it's actually not profitable. Making disciples is all about making followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, so this is what Jesus Christ said. Jesus Christ said, follow me and I'm going to do something. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So the, well, what is the converse logic of that? The converse logic of it is this. If you're not a fisher of men, you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. The people in your church who don't evangelize are not following Jesus Christ. Because Satan is going to be content to give you every part of the Christian life but evangelism. He'll even give you the version of discipleship other than evangelism. Because after a while, here's what he knows... You're just going, and this is what happened at our church, and this is when I knew that there was a problem, not with discipleship, with how Wildwood was doing discipleship. What's going to eventually happen is, you're going to have a, if you've never done discipleship, if you don't have a discipleship ministry, and you've come here this week, and you're going to do discipleship, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get excited, and you may get a team to come to your church, or you may just figure it out on yourself, and, and, and then you're going you're gonna to implement it, and you're going to split up the church in 50% disciplers and 50% disciplees, and you're all going to disciple each other, and it's going to take about 18 months to two years, and you're going to feel really good about the fact that you're, you're, now a, you're now a discipleship church. You're now cool like Briscoe. I'm going to make that a phrase. Are you cool like Briscoe? Okay? One of these days, you'll be able to walk into preacher's meetings in flip-flops and pajamas and preach that the King James Bible is the Word of God, too. You, too, can be cool like Briscoe. Okay, and, 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 and you, and, sorry, buddy, okay, and you can have it all set up, but, but, but there is an, there's a, an issue in the Bible surrounding the word virtue, and if you add to your faith knowledge and you skip virtue, no matter what you're doing, you, are, you have just killed the reproduction aspect of it. So my point is this, and listen, for real, I do not, I, I am talking about our church. Uh, this is not an inerrant, what I'm about to address, does, as Brandon just pointed out uh, so eloquently, as a matter of fact, Brandon really could have done my part here and I could shut up and just give it to Eric. But as Brandon just pointed out, this isn't an inerrant problem. This isn't intrinsic with discipleship. It's intrinsic with bad discipleship. Okay? So, so hear me on this. But if you get to the place where you're in, a, you're in an evangelism lesson 
in your discipleship. You come to the evangelism lesson. And you go through the evangelism lesson. And you meet one time a week for four weeks going through the evangelism lesson. And they show up at your kitchen table and they fill out all the blanks. And you look up all the verses. And then you move on to the next lesson and then the next lesson and then the next lesson. And then you get to the end and you have somebody stand up in front of your church. And, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. that, that's, good that that's good that you do that. Hear me on this. This is not... This is what we did wrong. And they stand up in front of the church, and yay, you passed D1. And you get a certificate, and you get a Bible, and people are crying, and there's photos. We had that. Okay, but now, let's go back to the discipleship lesson. Who evangelized anybody during that discipleship lesson? Nobody. Who attempted to evangelize anybody during the discipleship lesson? Nobody. Who, who teaching the discipleship lesson has ever in the history of that church led anybody to Christ? See, but you passed discipleship. But nobody evangelized Nobody attempted evangelism. Nobody tried to demonstrate how to do it. And the discipler has never led one person to Christ the entire time that they've been at that church. How did they become a disciple? And how are we calling that discipleship? There's got to be virtue that is strategically planned into these lessons or we are going to disciple evangelism out of discipleship, and ironically, when you do that, you've discipled discipleship out of discipleship. As, and that was Brandon's point. And man, I, like, for us, it became tragedy because we knew we had screwed up when we got through two years of discipleship, and when everybody was done discipling each other, now all of a sudden we had... We had, a, we had 100 trained disciplers and we had two people to disciple in the second generation of discipleship. So then you don't want to admit that you have failed. So then here's what you do. You ready? You have a reset. Oh, discipleship reset. And that's where you take all, everybody up and you jumble them up in the lottery of who you're going to get to have to talk to for you know, once a week for the next 18 months. And then you disciple each other again. How many times can you reset before you really address the problem that there is no, there's no, in the funnel, nothing, you have to feed the discipleship machine. You're, you're producing disciples, but there has to be a feeder to that, and the feeder to that has got to be evangelism. We can't allow, and, and then, so then that begged the question, well, then what is the virtue that we're demanding of any of the lessons? Because then it, 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 it grows from discipleship because everything grows out of discipleship. And so, so in, in the process of addressing all of these issues, what we did is we, we, we came up with a structure that we refer everything to in ministry. Now, obviously, there is the spiritual side of ministry and there is the quote-unquote 
you know, practical side or administrative side of ministry. I'm not talking about church administration, but when it comes to ministry, we now run everything through phalanx accountability. So it goes like this, and you all know the passage, and some of you know what I'm going to say, at least at first. But in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 32, it says, And when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. Okay, so whenever you preach the gospel, you're going to have three reactions. And these are going to be the reactions. You're going to have the people who mock. You're going to have the people who say what? We will hear thee again on this matter. And then you have the people who believe. And so what we were taught, at least what I was taught, okay? What I, what I was taught at, 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 in the Baptist Bible Fellowship, um, not Living Faith Fellowship, Baptist Bible Fellowship, what I was taught is, man, you keep preaching until you get those who believe and then you make a big deal out of, out of those people. And everybody else you just forget. Well, here's the issue. The people who believe in context are a very small group of people. A very small group. The two big groups are the mockers and the people who are saying, I will hear you again on this matter. Now, wait a second. What if we switch the paradigm? What if we said, well, praise the Lord for the few people that actually believe when we preach the gospel. And what if we constructed our evangelism ministry out of that second group? What if we decided to double down on the large group of people who are not mocking us, but who are not instantly getting saved the moment the jewels fall from our mouth and they catch them? Well, right? Like, what if being in the right place at the right time is not a matter of chance? What if it's a matter of strategy? What if it's a matter of training? What if it's a matter of skill? In other words... Can you become as skilled and as accountable and as trained in evangelism as you can be in discipleship after evangelism? Because if it all comes from evangelism, then I think there's a way, and I would never say, I would never say uh, uh, adapt, I'm, uh, uh, or adopt. I'm talking about adaption. I'm not talking about adoption. But what if there is a way to actually have a ministry at your church that would create the same kind of accountability and structure and system, if you will, that is in place in that body for evangelism as you did discipleship? And so we call that, we have a really weird name for it, it's called phalanx. And, and you don't have to call it that, and everyone makes fun of it, and Tony Godfrey is already laughing. Tony, I hate you. Leave now. Because <laughs> he's, been, he's been making fun of this name for two years. Tony Godfrey, I hate the friendly-looking people who are actually jerks. As a guy who's known as a jerk, it ticks me off that the real jerks walk around with Tony Godfrey grins on their face, <laughs> and everybody loves them. It ticks me off. You're a phony, bro. All right, I, that felt good. Now I felt, I, I feel purged right now. And I haven't even started on what I have prepared for Dan Renault this week. That's going to be really good. But, um, yeah, certainly, we don't cast our pearls before swine. 
But I do believe that, okay, what is, what is discipleship? Discipleship is investing the life of Christ. So we, so we talk about 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. It's an awesome verse for it. I'll give you another really good verse for discipleship. Acts 1.1. Of all that Jesus began to both do and teach. So then what is discipleship really? Conceptually. It's investing the life of God through your actions and the doctrines of God through your words. It's doing and teaching. Now, here's the deal. If discipleship, as Brandon so eloquently said today, if evangelism is a part of our discipleship, if that's the case, then it's going to be organically like all of the different pieces of the Christian life. What is one of the things that we fight as pastors? We're trying to, we're trying to overthrow the idea of compartmentalizing Christianity. You, you can't live the Christian life at certain times. Ergo, you can't live any part of the Christian life at certain times. There should never be an instance in your life that you're with somebody and you're not demonstrating the life of God through your actions and the doctrines of God through your words. That should never be the case. If you're with your kids, you should be making disciples. We're, we're making disciples right now. This conference is making disciples. It's not two people at a kitchen filling out blanks. And that's not saying that that's not discipleship. You know, that's discipleship too, and that's how it manifests itself in a structured discipleship ministry. And hear me out, guys, that's good. But that's not the sum total of what discipleship is. Wherever you're going, you should never be in a place in your life where your actions and your words are not conveying the life and doctrines of Jesus Christ. And so it must be with evangelism if evangelism really is discipleship. You should never not be evangelizing. Never. You can't schedule evangelism. This was what was wrong with the previous generation. And, and I'm not dogging on the previous generation. And by the way, Brandon wasn't earlier either. He wasn't, okay, the, you know, well, they gave invitations. Well, yeah, well, Brandon and I got saved in invitations. I praise the Lord. That was his point. But I'm here to tell you guys, like, if we, if we don't reproduce, if we do not reproduce a life of evangelism where we're evangelizing all of the time, and what does that look like? You can't schedule that on Thursdays at 7 o'clock. You can't do it. It will never work. You have to be, you know, the big debate was always, well, is it, is it lifestyle evangelism or, or, or is it, you know, easy believism? Well, believing is easy by definition. Say, so I believe in work salvation. It's just that Jesus Christ did all the work. And if he did all the work, I'm going to go ahead and call that easy. So I'm sorry, I do believe in easy believism. I also believe in lordship salvation. <laughs> I believe in lifestyle evangelism. Like, okay, now hear me out, because that freaks some people out. Repentance is belief. But when you get saved, you need to be able to get saved with the understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? And, and, and so, yes, it's easy, but man, man, we are submitting to Lord Jesus Christ when we get saved. And what is the repentance? The repentance is the belief. All right, so then it's a false, it, 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 it's, it's a, it's a false binary construct. 
I don't have to choose between two things. There's a third option, what the Bible says. Are you a Calvinist or are you an Arminianist? Um, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm, a, I, I, I'm, an, I'm an Arminianist and, and, until I get to the cross, and then after the cross, I'm a Calvinist, I, I think. Like, 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 I believe the Bible. Okay, when it comes to this evangelism idea, man, we're, we're, we're always to be evangelizing, constantly. It, yes, it's lifestyle evangelism, and yes, it's preaching the gospel so people can get saved. You create a lifestyle evangelism construct for that second group. The people who we, who, who we know in our communities who are telling our people when they hear the gospel, we will hear thee again on this matter. Okay, in other words, they want to keep the conversation going, and that is the goal of evangelism. It's to keep the conversation going. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to come up with a structure where we can get people accountable just like we do in discipleship, and discipleship them or disciple them on evangelism so they can be discipled in discipleship. And that's the key. Because, because we've got to get we've got to get a biblical perspective of evangelism, which you're about to find out is friend, faith, and fellowship. Getting the people in your church to view themselves as missionaries in their community by, by a, a, a structured way of moving every relationship in their life through a funnel of biblical accountability so that they can actually see how the relationships in their life move from three categories because we believe with all of our hearts that this is the biblical blueprint of New Testament evangelism. It is engaging your community, and just like we're always living a holy life, just like we're always making disciples, we're always evangelizing. We are literally viewing every relationship in our life through the lens of the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, and seeing them as a progression of friend, and moving them from friend to faith, and moving them from faith to fellowship. And then allowing that accountability structure, if you want, we will show you a way to allow that accountability organizer of your discipleship ministry as well. So in our, in our term, the way that we would use it, phalanx is actually the, the, everything that we do in our church actually funnels through the mouth of the funnel of everything else that we do. Because at our church it looks like this. We've got this feeder for evangelism. We call that phalanx. You don't have to call it that. And then it narrows down, and we have four phases, if you will, of equipping. We have D1, D2, the Bible track in, in Wildwood Bible Institute, and then we have the, the minister's track of Wildwood Bible Institute, two years and two years. And after you, you're done with that, then you get spit back out either into leadership, into church planting, or back into leadership through running a phalanx group inside of the church, and then you keep reproducing that model, and then your group begins to create a feeder of evangelism that we run people through and then spit them back out. But we've got to keep feeding this if it's going to work. 
And so that's, that, that's the idea. Um, it, is, it is not something that we feel like is this is the only way to do it. But I want to show you a way that you might be able to adapt because we have found unbelievable effectiveness in this. Uh, last year, <clears throat> we probably baptized and saw people join. We had a seminal moment in our life, and then I'll shut up after this, and this will be the, all you hear from me for the week. We had a seminal moment in our life, um, at, at, in, in our body life at Wildwood Baptist Church. Um, two and a half years ago, we began to look at all of our years of failed discipleship. And so one Sunday I got up, and I didn't know it was going to be this negative. I mean, this was really negative. This was actually, this caused, for real, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. Like, this actually caused me, like, real-life problems in our church. Um, I didn't mean it as an object lesson. I didn't mean it as a facial. I swear I didn't. You're going to think, oh, yeah, right, we know you. I didn't mean it as a facial. I was trying to collect data, and I thought this would be the easiest way to do it. If I'm lying, I'm dying. So I'm going to collect data on Sunday morning. So here's what I did. For our introduction to our sermon, I said, okay, now, if there's, we've been doing discipleship here since Mark Trotter in New Philadelphia brought it in 1999. Mark Trotter in New Philadelphia came and implemented discipleship at our church. Okay, so this was, this was two and a half years ago. So from that time till now, so here we are. So stand up if there's anybody in this room who is here because you led them to Christ and, dis- and, and saw them baptized and evangelized them or, um, uh, and discipled them. Raise your hand if there, or stand up if there's anybody here that is here because you, they were unsaved, they were out in the world, they didn't come from another church, they are here because you led them to Christ and saw them baptized and discipled them. Now, on that particular Sunday, we were rolling that Sunday. I actually remember the number. We were rolling at 236 in the auditorium. Three people stood up. Why? Because we skipped virtue out of the gate. And the way that we did discipleship is we had planned. We had structured the skipping of a virtue. So what we've done, and we'll, I'll, I'll explain this. This will be the last you hear of me. We'll be on the last day, uh, two days from now. I will get up at the beginning and I will explain how we have, through phalanx, added virtue steps at the beginning, middle, and end of all of the discipleship lessons. The first step is designed after the model that I stole from from, uh, Jeff Bartell. I steal things. Um, I don't like the word plagiarize. That's an offensive term to me. I like I'm a (laughs) collator. I have collated a lot of Sam and a lot of Jeff Bartell and a lot of Mark Trotter. I'm one of the best collators you've ever met in your life. <laughs> I'm a brilliant collator. 
What is biblical leadership? And Jeff showed it to me in the Bible. It was one of the first conversations that we ever had. I do, you what? You watch. You do, I do. You do, I watch. So at the beginning of every lesson, before we get started, there's a virtue step. I demonstrate. If we're going to do a lesson on the family at Wildwood, our, 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 our virtue steps are this. You can't start the lesson until you let me come over with my wife and we do family devotions at your house. We're going to show you how to do family devotions. Okay, now we start it. About halfway through, what we do is we have them come over and we do a family devotion thing together. And then when that lesson is over, that family comes and we don't say anything and they lead our family in a family devotion. And then they get the lesson and then they move on. And we have these virtue steps of I do, you watch, you do, I do, you do, I watch, that we're building into each of our lessons so there's virtue along the way, including the evangelism lesson. Here's what the evangelism virtue step is. It's that you, they join a phalanx group. Because if they join a phalanx group, they will get I do, you watch, you do, I do, you do, I watch. And that's what our phalanx groups are. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to um, Eric because Eric became a missionary because of how we started this. Because at first, I had such little faith. My dirty little secret is I didn't believe that Wildwood would ever do it. But I knew that there was a group of people that had gone through D1, D2, WBI. They had been trained. Eric was ready to go. And so he wanted to be a missionary. And so I said, okay, we've got to come up with missionary accountability. So I thought before they leave, our missionaries are going to have to do what I think everybody should be doing deep down. And it's with an accountability structure for what, everything that we've just talked about. So they can do it and then show fruit from it. So when they go to the mission field, it's just a continuation of what they've been training to do before they went to the field. And one night, there was a lady... <clears throat> and I'm not going to get emotional here. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. My wife has been slipping me estrogen pills in my food as I get older. I'm not kidding. I'm going to find those pills. I'm going to find them. I used to never cry. I cry every Sunday. Cole thinks I'm, I'm the, like, Cole doesn't even know what's happening to me. He's worried about me. But there's this girl, her name's Emily. And we were having one of these phalanx groups. And what happened is, Somebody during the phalanx groups, the missionaries that were training, you know, first couple of months, nothing was happening. And then all of a sudden, like somebody got saved. And then somebody else got saved. And then we baptized somebody. Our baptisms, the first year that we implemented phalanx, our baptisms went up about 11-fold from the previous year's average, by the way. Baptisms. I'm not talking about salvations. I'm talking about baptisms. That's a big deal. And uh, so this girl pulled me aside. Her name's Emily. She's one of the families that are, are going to be joining Eric in Belfast in June. And she said, can I talk to you about something? And I said, sure. You know, well, what is it? And she said, uh, well, I've realized something. Um, I don't think, and it's just a real humble girl, real, you know, respectful, <laughs> quiet lady, meek and quiet spirit. And she's, you know, she's trying to not, like, rebuke an elder or whatever, you know. That, that would be something that would, she would be really sensitive about. 
she goes, well, I just think that you say that we should all be missionaries. And this is how you're training the missionaries. Shouldn't we all be doing this? Because I don't think we should even give it a name. And I said, well, well why? What would we call it? And uh, <clears throat> so she said, we should call it the New Testament Christian life. And that was the conversation um, that led us to present this to the church. Now, I thought like 11 people would do it. And uh, when we first opened up our phalanx group, we opened up with nine groups overseeing 88 people that are involved in an accountability structure of following God by being fishers of men. And I'm going to give it to Eric at this point. Thanks, guys. There we go. Green. Sorry about that. What I want to do throughout the rest of this week is, is, is explain to you guys uh, some of the ins and the outs. And, and, and I'll be honest, um, I, I kind of want to give uh, more of a, like a, a very spirit-led blend of spiritual admonition, but also and, and heavy on this practical application, all right? So how can, how can you as a, as a church, how can you as an individual, how can you as a leader, as a pastor, as a deacon, whatever it may be, how can you make this applicable to your everyday life? Because that's what we're about, right? That's what we're here to do. We're here to make uh, making our lives consistent, effective vessels uh, for evangelism, all right? So you're going to see here to my left, you're going to see uh, this big, gigantic whiteboard, all right? Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. This whiteboard basically has represented my life for the last nine months, and I'm going to explain if I do my job correctly, I'm going to explain what I mean by that. My first question is, is this in your guys' way of the screen? Can you guys see the screen? No. All right, so I'm going to move this over a little bit. Is that a little bit better? Hopefully. All right, because I'm going to reference this. Yeah. That's a bad choice. All right, so I will, I'm going to reference this quite a bit. I'll probably redo the orange if it's, uh, if it's uh, hard to see. But I'll reference this quite a bit. Um, and and it, like I said, it represents my, my life and my wife's life, our family's life as, as a missionary on the mission field, what it looks like. Um, because what we're going to find out is missions, discipleship revolves around relationships, right? Human relationships. And we're going to see uh, what, that, what that looks like. Um, we're going to hopefully be able to, to mobilize together. That's what we want to do. We want to mobilize together to, to make friends, uh, to see what this looks like in the practical life of the individual, and then how we can keep ourselves accountable as a group, as church, uh, as church leaders, um, and things like that, all right? And so what I want to do is I want to introduce the first column. So each, each section is going to be, each session is going to, to be basically a representation of each of the three columns, all right? So today what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time looking at that first column, which is friend, all right? Friend, and, and before we get into the actual nuts and the bolts, uh, what I, what I kind of want to do is just introduce uh, the, the method behind the madness, so to speak, right? It's important to understand uh, a little bit about the why. Why are we doing it this way? Why do we focus on human relationships? 
Because what we came to find out, what we've come to see at Wildwood, is that it doesn't, it doesn't matter the how if you don't understand the why, right? If you don't understand why you're doing it, the how doesn't matter. This is, this is what happens. This is why people fall away from it. We've seen people join, and six months later, they get frustrated, they get discouraged, and then they drop out, and they leave the failings group for, for whatever reason that they come up with. But we, we've come to understand that more times than not, it's because they do not understand why they were in it in the first place. What were they doing there? And so, that being said, I want to take us uh, to a couple of, uh, of leaders, right? A couple of leaders in, 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 the, in the church, uh, the, the church age. And, and the first one I want to talk about is, is Paul, all right? So it, Paul is, 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 uh, is writing to the, to the Corinthian church, uh, he, and, and we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, I believe I also have it on the screen up here. But um, Paul is representing, uh, or excuse me, Paul writes to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we see some very important things, okay? The first thing we see um, is his focus on unity. And if you'll read with me 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together and in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you, okay? And so what we see is the church at Corinth um, is a mess, right? We see already just how far that the Laodicean church has, has fallen here. And it's a church in ruins spiritually. There's open sin, uh, gross sexual sin, false doctrine, schism in the body. You name it, and it's going on here, right? And, and, and what is fascinating, however, is how Paul goes about addressing the issues we see the first four chapters are devoted to this one thing, and that is human relationships. Because what we see in these verses is Paul is focusing on what? He begs the brethren that you all speak the same thing. There's no divisions. That you're perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And what he's talking about, where, where his uh, point of departure comes from, is human relationships. He spends those first four chapters because what we see is Paul understood the attack on the church, Right? Paul was already understanding what was going to be the attack on the local church, and that was to render us irrelevant through our cultural ignorance and social incompetence. We've seen this take root in many of our churches. This incompetence, this ignorance, normally manifests itself in our ineptitude or our inability at getting along with each other, right, in the body, or our inability to get, get to know new people. Folks, the reality is if, if we cannot get along with each other and if we lack the capacity or desire, the flat-out desire to get to know new people, there is going to be a short in your life when it comes to your ability to win the loss. That's just the fact of the matter. You know, our culture loves to, to boast about the empathy, sympathy uh, that they have, their, their compassion, their psychology, their education, their enlightenment. But if you really listen to them, and, and, and trust me, over the, the course of the last two and a half, you know, even almost back to five years, I've, uh, I've engaged in many different relationships with this lost world. Uh, over the course of the last nine months, again, almost every single day of my life, I'm meeting with somebody in the lost world. And if you just simply turn on your, your ears for a second, what you're going to hear is they'll admit to you that they do not know how to make human relationships work, right? They're, they're miserable in the ones that they have going. And this should make sense to you and me. It really should. Why? Because the heart of man always has a void without the presence of God. The secret that we know is that everyone deep down craves biblical Christianity. 
a relationship with their creator is actually what everyone in your life needs. You know what? If only there was somebody somewhere along the way in their life that would actually present that to them. You want to know something? What we've seen is the world actually loves that. They find it desirable. They, they crave it. They want it. And when it's presented to them, maybe the, for the first time ever, we, we can start to see some things begin to take place in our chart, and we'll get to what that means and what that looks like in just a minute. Can I suggest that the unfortunate reason that we struggle to win the loss to Christ is because the world sees and hears the facts that our relationships and our lives are substantially no different than theirs? How do you talk about your church? How do you talk about your wife to your coworker? What about your kids? When your kids are in front of other parents, what do they see, right? The relationships in our lives are important within and without the body. We see John chapter 13 and verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. How is the world going to recognize true disciples, true followers? It's by our ability to get along with one another, right? The world's constantly watching our claims, the things that we say, the things that we tell them. They, they put us out there. They single us out. And if we were, man, if we were to just, just maybe get a snippet of your Monday morning, and what you thought of your pastor's service and sermon, what you thought of your Sunday school teacher or your interaction with the church body, as, they, as you presented it, as everyone listened in the cubicle next to you, what would, what would they think of, of your ability or lack thereof to follow after Christ? John chapter 17, Christ ups the ante just a little bit when he says, neither pray I for these alone. Right, so this is Christ in the garden. He's praying for you, for me, for all those that we're going to accept but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. What? That they may all be one. Human relationships, unity, dwelling peaceably, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. That the world, now get this. Unity, human relationships, the ability to function biblically with one another. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. You see, our reputation isn't the only thing at stake, right? What's at stake here? God's reputation. How you interact with your family, with your church, with each other, with the lost world. Man, the world is watching and they see and they get to judge the veracity of God's claims based on how you interact with each other, based on your relationships. You know what the unfortunate truth and reality is? If I were part of the lost world and I heard the things coming out of the mouths of most Christians, if I saw the relationships of most Christians... I wouldn't want any part of God either. Because the reality is, biblical Christians, unfortunately, a lot of the time struggle to make human relationships work. You see, Paul's example keeps us aware that how you treat others within and without the body is at the very root of our ability to effectively and consistently win the lost. You cannot win the lost without the ability to establish and cultivate human relationships. And this is the beginning of our understanding of why we're going about making friends, all right? And the, the next person, the next world changer that I want to talk about is, is obviously Christ, okay? Because John chapter 9 and verse 5 tells us, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And we know that Christ offers the world hope and peace. He's that light that the world desperately needs. We know about his wonderful works, right? His physical healing, 
His divine works, calming the storm, making the lame to walk. However, it's how Christ reached the lost in his community and in his humanity that allows us to begin to understand where it is that we are to start. Because Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 tells us, Ye are the light of the world. Your city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. How then do we stand in the gap for Christ in his physical uh, after his physical departure, how are we to let our light shine? Because I'm certainly not healing anybody. I'm not healing a lame. I, I got no, you know, loaves and fishes miracles in me, right? And I don't think any of us in here do. So how then are we to be the light to our communities? The answer is, who was Christ as a man? I would like us to visit just quickly the book that presents Christ as that son of man. In Luke chapter 7, we see the identity of Christ to the lost world. The Son of Man is coming, eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man, a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Luke chapter 15, and the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Luke chapter 19, when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. To this world, Christ had a name. He had an identity. In his humanity, Christ offered light to this world and his ability to be a friend to sinners. One of the greatest things that we can be known as while we're here on this earth is the same name by which Christ was known, a friend. You see, God's biblical blueprint for evangelism begins where Jesus began, by being a friend. So I have a question. How are you known in your community? How are you known in Cartersville, in Columbus, in Belfast, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. You see, we want the lost of this world to know us. And if I'm really honest, if I'm really honest, I think, I think we're starting to see why most Christians don't evangelize, why we, why we cannot seem to mobilize our churches to move, right? Because if we really, really want the world to know us, that means we have to open our lives to them. You see, evangelism, when you evangelize, when you're dedicated to it, evangelism really, really, really helps your holiness, right? Because I want people coming into my life, and if they see that my actions don't match my words, then I got a problem, right? I think we're starting to see maybe why, why most Christians have put evangelism off for their entire lives and come up with excuse after excuse to not do it. When you take evangelism seriously, when you put it into practice in your life, things begin to change for you. Life-changing is a term that I think is overused. It's used to describe fast food sandwiches and the like, right? This is life-changing. I remember the question that Brett asked. I remember the day. I remember my heart breaking when three people stood up in a crowd of 236. And forever after that, my life changed. Because I dedicated myself that day to 100% dedication and commitment to making my life the Great Commission through the Great Commandment. And this is going to be the outpouring, the expression of what that looks like, all right? And so what I want to do as I introduce and as you start to understand the little bit about the why, I want to take a second and I want to just explain how we're going to work and operate these sessions. Because there's a lot going on up here, right? 
There's a lot on this board. There's a lot that we could talk about. So here's how, the, here's how we're going to, to, to work the sessions, okay? Again, each column is going to be a session. We're going to break it down by potential and realize, right? So our first, our, our, our two main points today are going to be the things that you see up here. I don't know if you can read it, but this says potential and realized. So we have potential friends in our lives. We have realized friends in our lives, okay? And these are going to be our two main points. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a step back and we're going to analyze on a micro level. So for individual people, how can we make this a part of our life? What does that look like to the individuals, leaders, people that are just attending the church? What, can, what does that look like in the individual's life? And then we're going to take a step back and we're going to get a macro view of what this looks like through the eye of a group, right? What does the group stage look like, okay? And at this point, what I want to do is I'm going to have Jake pass out some materials because we have some tools that we normally uh, give to, uh, to our um, Phalanx members, all right? And I want you guys just to quickly scan through these. I want you just to quickly look at them. Um, there's notebooks and there's a box, all right? And these tools are simply things to help keep you accountable, help you dedicate your life to making the Great Commission your life, all right? And so what I want to do is start with number one, all right? Number one, potential friend. And we're going to have a focus, all right? So a focus for each of the subcategories. So our focus for a potential friend is consistently finding friends, all right? So you have to be able to consistently find friends. This leads us to, to number one. How do we then consistently find friends becomes the question, right? Number one, activity. Activity. Because what we found was the life of Paul, the life of Christ is, is, is kind of modeled for us in a small story in Acts chapter 8 with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. What I want to do is I want to walk through that story, just some, ver some verses, and we're going to point out some very, very important things that Philip does that we can apply and implement in our life. And the first thing that I want you to see is Acts chapter 8 and verse 27, and he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. All right, so what I want you to realize, what I want you to, to understand is Philip was ready to move, right? Philip was ready to be active wherever the Spirit moved him. He's active in his local church. We saw that in Acts chapter 6. He's active now in the world as he walks in the Spirit, who is going to guide his divine movement. Brett talked about being in the right place at the right time, right? Well, you cannot be at the right place at the right time if your relationship with God isn't where it needs to be. We see this in the man of Philip, right? We don't have time to, to discuss that. That's what discipleship is kind of all about. You'll hear more about that, I'm sure, throughout the rest of the week. But Philip is in the right place, and so therefore, God leads him at the right time to another place. Everything about Philip is active. He's found what? Running to meet the chariot. And so the question is, I want to ask you a simple question. How active are you in your evangelistic efforts, okay? Are you running to opportunities in your life to establish relationships and win the loss of this world? Because I want to give you the, the beginning of our very, very simple strategy for making friends and establishing relationships. It's going to blow you away. Our activity begins where it began for Philip. We get up from our places of comfort. We get up from the pew 
We peel ourselves away from the couch and the television and the PlayStation. We arise and we go out into the world. Because if you want to find new friends, you've got to be active. And there's two things that you have to be active in. Number one, these are, I believe, bullet points on your outline. You have to be active in establishing relationships with new people, okay? So, I show up to Belfast. I've never been there my entire life, okay? I know nobody. I don't know a soul. And when I got there, this board was completely blank. I had a board like this, but it's empty. Why? I didn't know anybody, right? So what do, what do, what do you do? What do you do when you're there to plant a church and you don't know anybody? Well, the answer isn't to sit on the couch and mope about how you're lonely and how nobody's there to hold your hand through the process. What do you do? You, you do what Philip did. You get up off your couch after your 10-day quarantine, and then you go out into the community. Pastors. Pastors. Leaders. Deacons. Do you have a way to meet new people outside of your congregation? Because you want to, you want to mobilize to evangelize? Leaders in our church have to realize that you have to lead from the front on this. You have to lead from the front. My wife, these are my wife's people right here. She is killing it. Literally right now, she is meeting with somebody in Belfast. She can't be here. Why? Well, honestly, she's a lot more busy right now than I am. Like, she's meeting with people. She's meeting with ladies and kids. She's busy. She's active. But... But I'll be honest with you, if I, as the leader of the home, would have sat on the couch and moped and been like, oh, I don't know what to do. I guess we'll, you know, I guess we'll just go out and see what happens. If I was not active, she would have joined right in and following me and just sitting there and not doing nothing, right? The same thing went for when we were at Wildwood. It's not, this is, this is the whole point, right? It's not just the missionary on the foreign field. It's the missionary here in the room. It's you, right? If I were to sit and do nothing at home, and veg out and watch Netflix after my hard day's work of being really rude and mean to everybody in the cubicles around me, we would have led nobody to Christ in, Belfast, or in, uh, in, in Lambertville, just like we, we, would have, we would lead nobody to Christ in Belfast, right? You have to be active. You have to lead from the front on this. You must be able to consistently, and this is the key, right? This is the key, consistency. Every day, this isn't just one time, oh, I led someone to Christ, I'm done. No, every single day, you have to consistently meet new people in your life. So how are you meeting new people in the world? The reality for Christians is we struggle when it comes to meeting new people outside of our current comfortable beds, routines, churches, whatever it is. Most Christians are consumed with making things as comfortable for them as, as possible, right? I can assure you, making a, a consistent effort to meet new people is as uncomfortable as it gets. This, meeting these people, was as uncomfortable as I've ever been, and I've been really uncomfortable. This mindset often affects two key things as we seek to meet new people. Number one, where we spend our time and how nice we are. Let's keep it simple, right? Okay, I want you to think about your life right now. Because this is what I had to do in Belfast. I thought about, what do people like to do? Well, they, 
Okay, I'm going to use a very specific example. My, the people that in Belfast, they like proper football. The guys in Belfast like proper football. You can't call it soccer or they will kick you out of the country, okay? They like proper football. So what did I do? I found a group of people, of guys, that were really into playing proper football. That's what they talk about. That's what they do. My wife, okay? My wife, she followed my example. We got together, okay? We got, what did my wife do? Well, my wife, she has to take care of our son while I'm out away at work and all this kind of stuff. So what did she do? She got active as well. She found a group, multiple groups, that go swimming with their little kids, right? There's a, a coffee shop that hosts a mom and tot group like every Thursday. And guess what? My wife got active. She got up and she got out so that we could meet new people that had similar interests, had similar things, similar like kids' ages, similar ages to us, similar interests. I want you to take account of your life, all right? Maybe write down in your notes, where do you spend your time? Work. Most of us work for eight hours a day, right? So you go into the office. Sometimes we do that. Nowadays, it's a little bit different. Okay, so what about after work? What do you do? Does every day you just come home and sit down on the couch and watch TV and eat dinner and go to bed and do the same thing over again? I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with spending time with your family, but you're certainly not going to be able to meet new people if that's what you're doing with every single day of your life, right? You have to be active. You have to understand that where you spend your time is going to affect the people in your life, the people that you meet. And then how nice are you? I'm sorry. Christians are not nice. Let me tell you something. It's very simple. You want to know how I made all of these friends? I was just, like, I, I overdid the niceness. Super nice. I was friendly. I smiled. I shook people's hand. I, just be nice, man, I'm telling you. You want to find new friends? Just be nice. We'll talk more about this uh, to come. We have multiple examples of this in our church. Adam, a guy joining me in July uh, uh, in Belfast. Adam. Has, he owns his own business. He made his business into a field. He realized that he's surrounded by literally like 120 construction workers. He's surrounded by them, right? He made his business into a field. What, 80% of integrity home construction is now born again because of, and, and baptized and now getting involved in our church? This, like, because a guy was simply active, because he, he was nice, because he understood what this life is about. There's a, there's a lady at Wildwood named uh, Leah. She started going to a dojo. More on her to come. Uh, Emily, that Brett mentioned, she took tennis lessons. Uh, again, I joined a football group. My wife joined mom and tot groups. We love coffee, so guess what? We each picked a coffee shop that we went to, and I hung out there. And I would read my Bible there, and I would drink coffee. More on that to come. Really cool stories about just simply getting up, getting into the community, and we're active, okay? So can you establish new relationships? Can you engage with new people? We saw John chapter 4, and he left. This is Christ meeting with what? The woman at the well. He left Judea and departed into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. In verse 7, what happens when he's in the right place at the right time? There, was, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. 
See, Christ was weary. He was tired. He needed a drink. He needed a nap. But guess what? There was something more important, and that was, the, that was a woman who needed him. Are there people more important in your life than your comfort? Are there more, people more important in your life than you needing a nap and going home and taking a snooze? Yes. The answer is yes. Then number two, all right, we are active in cultivating current relationships, okay? Cultivating current relationships because some Christians need to focus on simply getting out, right? They need that push to be actively meeting new people. Many of us, however, do not need to find anything more to be active in. That's just the reality. Our lives are already busy, right? We already go to work. We already have eight different t-ball games that we need to go to with our kids. We are already joining a gym. We're already, whatever it may be, we're already doing things, okay? The problem is, however, we often lack any knowledge or any desire on how to go about developing any type of actual friendships with the people in our lives. How do we then go about making and cultivating current relationships? I guarantee you, by this point, everybody in their mind has thought of somebody, one person, more than likely, in their life, that they're going, oh, yeah, you know what? There's a guy that sits across from me at work, and yeah, he's kind of cool. We talk every now and then. I could probably be a little bit more intentional with him, and who knows what would happen. Okay, more than likely, everybody in here has a family member, an already potential, soon-to-be, maybe realized friend. They have a friend in their life of some kind that they're thinking this way. And in our activity with these new relationships, all right? So we're in group settings normally. I'm at the football group, and I'm surrounded by 16 other guys, now, in these, in these groups, now, this is very key. What we're doing is, in these groups, we're finding individuals who we start to connect with. You find those people in the group that are willing to talk to you. But you see, first, you have to be willing to talk to them, mind you, by the way. You, you have to open your mouth and say something. And that, that can be really uncomfortable. Don't get me wrong. It can be really hard. All right, so every Thursday and Friday or excuse me, every Thursday and Saturday, I play football with my football group. My goal with these original acti activities was just to find some guys that I could become actual friends with. I'm surrounded by 16 lost guys. Man, the first guy, this is crazy because I prayed for this for, for literally probably a year. The first guy that I remember, now this is where the salty discharges may start flowing because <clears throat> these are actual stories. These are actual people that have affected my life in a, in a variety of different ways. The first guy that I met at the football group, his name was Dave. You see him at the top of my list here. He's got a prayer card in my box that's about worn to pieces. Uh, Dave came up to me, went out of his way to make me feel welcome in the group. You want to know something? I reciprocated that, right? There was a guy that just saw a new, a new face, knew how I felt because he was there at one time. And he came up, said, hey, man, how's it going? My name's Dave. What's yours? I can connect with somebody like that, right? What happened was I, I, I found that this happened over and over again. At the coffee shop, people would come up to me and start in, like, introducing themselves. At the gym that I go to, people would talk to me. And all I had to do was simply open my eyes and understand that all I had to do was cultivate some of these current relationships that I have in my already busy, busy schedule and busy life. Sometimes, most times, now it's not always going to be the person coming to you. You have to go out of your way sometimes to talk to them. 
You have to have conversations with people that you do not yet know during these activities in your life. You have to be nice to your coworkers, okay? Even when you don't feel like it. Smile on the Zoom meetings that everybody hates and knows is a waste of time. Smile. Be nice. Be friendly. Because the world's looking different. What does that mean? I don't go to work anymore. I don't see any, new, any lost people. What does that mean? You just quit meeting new people? You just quit leading people to Christ? No. You get a little bit more creative. You get a little bit more active. You start to cultivate and engage with other people, with new people that you're finding in your life. The great commi- You see, what we found was we're never meant to have the great commission added to our life. Brett alluded to this earlier, right? We're not adding anything more into your schedule. This is my life. This is what I do with everything. I go to work. I work at a cafe. That's what I do. I clean toilets, and I mop up, and I make some coffees every now and then. And I'm not even good at the latte art. I mean, like, okay, so what do I do there? Why am I working? Well, I'm working to support my family while we live, right? But I'm also there to make friends. I'm also there to offer something different to a world. And let me tell you something. I'm surrounded by young people at this job. The world needs Christ. And I am the only representation of biblical Christianity that they may ever have access to, right? You understand that? You are needed by the people in your life. Why? Because they need a relationship with Christ. They need what you claim to offer. This now becomes how you fulfill God's purpose for being here. Because when you seek to cultivate relationships, you're going to notice a couple things start to happen. Number one, God has strategically placed people in your life that are just waiting for someone to obey the Great Commission by fulfilling the Great Commandment to go and love them. Number two, you're also going to realize that Satan has strategically placed people in their lives who are working with them to get them to not listen to you and to not fulfill, and find a relationship with Jesus Christ because the war is waging, right? The war is waging, friends, for the loss of this world to see who will command the respect and confidence of the friends that you say you have and who will have influence in them. Okay, what if Philip, right? What if Philip had passed by? What if he hadn't been active? What if Philip had said no? Who would this Who would this Ethiopian eunuch have run into that would have changed his life that Satan had led there, right? All right, now let's ask the real question. Who have you passed by? How many times have you told God no? Because you just couldn't be bothered that day. You were too tired. That person really annoyed you, so you couldn't be bothered to talk to them. Who have you passed by? And who have they run into because you didn't have time to cultivate a relationship with them? Number two, this leads us to number two. You have to be intentional. Intentionality is number two. And Philip ran to meet him. What we start to see is this activity must be intentional. You have to make every activity, every relationship with great commission intention. This is your life, right? Everything I'm doing revolves around great commission intention. You have to be consistent in this. We must be intentionally plotting and strategizing our lives around filling our schedule with what we call divine appointments. Your activity at work, at the grocery store, at the coffee shop, 
your football group, have to have intentionality. You want your new friends, your new, act, your new activities to see that you are different, right? You're intentionally there for a reason. You want them to see that your relationships, your wife, your kids are different. John chapter 15 and verse 16, they're on your shirts, your, your sweet, awesome, like, sweatshirts that you guys have here. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. You should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. You want what? Remaining fruit. That's what we're searching for, right? God desires that your life produces much fruit. You see, God is always asking for what? For more. For more from you. For much fruit. That you preach the whole counsel of God. You go into all the world. You teach all nations. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. With your current methods, with your current activity level, are you finding fruit? And are you finding fruit that remains? Right? That's the question. Remaining fruit. Currently, who is at your church? Because you went out and brought them into the fellowship. We cannot spread God's kingdom on spare time and spare change. You understand that, right? We've tried this. And it doesn't work. And so what we've done is we've come up with two ways to make this happen. We've, we've coined, we use the, uh, the Matthew chapter 4 verse where we're, what, we're fishers of men, right? So we have two different strategies for, for being intentionally active. We call them net fishing and fly fishing. In net fishing, we're casting a wide net to multiple individuals, right? You're getting out. You're joining that gym. You're taking that group class. You're learning how to cook. You are, whatever it is, you're joining a proper football group, whatever it may be for you. You're casting a wide net. You know, I tried a lot of different things. I probably tried 10 different things. Uh, group activities. I casted about 10 different nets. I put 10 different trot lines out. And about two of those things hit. Right? My football group and my gym is where I started meeting the most people. It's where I started finding the most individuals. You see, you see what you're doing? You're, you're being active, intentionally active, and you're seeing where things start to hit for you. You're seeing where you start to make traction in your life. You'll see, uh, I think I have a picture of a schedule up here. I don't know if it's up here or not, but I have a picture of a schedule, all right? So this is, this is my life represented here, okay? So this is my October of 2021, my wife and I. What we do is every single month, every single week, every single day, we have fly fishing and net fishing activities that we're engaging in, except for Tuesday and Friday nights, because those are family days and family date nights, all right? So we do make sure, by the way, that we are spending time focused on our family, spending time together, spending committed, dedicated time with each other, and that's an important thing, by the way, all right? But what you'll see here is every single day filled with, you'll see on the, on the side, I don't know if you can see it or not, but a fly fishing event where I'm meeting with an individual, right, or a net fishing event where I'm casting that wide net in my group, and I'm always fishing. Even at my net fishing events, I'm casting that line, right? Because fly fishing, we've crafted specific bait, right? We see specific things start to come uh, into our lives, specific people that are there, right? And we are starting to craft specific things for them. So while I'm in the group, I'm talking to Dave, all right? So I want to use a, a very specific example, and I'm going to actually 
wrap up the session. We'll offer some, some time for some questions here uh, in just a minute. But I'm going to use a very, very specific example of something that, that I did at a net fishing slash fly fishing uh, event, okay? So I mentioned Dave. was the first guy that came up to me. And I immediately went back home, and I knew, I knew I needed to start praying for this guy, right? So I put him on my prayer card that you see it was passed around, right? I put him in my notebook. I put him on my board at the top of my list. And now what I started to do was, as I went back to those net fishing events, I started fly fishing for Dave, and I crafted some very specific things for Dave. You see, I saw he was wearing a Manchester United jersey. And I said, Dave... I see you're interested in Manchester United. You know, I've really been wanting to learn more about proper football. We should go watch a Manchester United game. What do you think about that? Oh, mate, I'd love to go out. And, okay, my voice, and I can't do the British accent, but yes, let's go out and let's go watch a Manchester United game. My wife would go to the coffee shop every single day. She'd talk to a girl there named Justina. Every day, Lacey went, and she got her oat milk, coconut latte, well, I don't know, whatever, okay? And she goes, and she talks to Justina for a very specific purpose. Before we came home back in November, after conversation, after conversation, after activity, after activity, after Lacey going and fly fishing, Justina said, hey, you and your son come in here every day. Your son is so well-behaved. You're so nice to me. I don't understand it. What's going on? My wife said, ah, Great question. I'd love an opportunity to talk to you about that. We should go out sometime when you're off work and go out for a coffee. And the day before we left, Lacey took Justina out, and they hung out, and they became friends. They started talking about life and asking questions, all right? And so what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to stop the session right here, okay? So if you're wondering where we're at on this, we're right here. And tomorrow, what we're going to do is we're going to pick right back up getting into what a realized friend looks like. How do you know you've gone from a potential friend to a realized friend? And then how can you take that person from being a realized friend? Because you see, there are some people that have gotten weeded out, right? I'm always trying to move my friends right on the board. And there are some people that get weeded out along the way. And we're going to explain what that looks like how you know, hopefully I can go home, I can get some cough drops, and I can actually talk tomorrow. Uh, but we're going to spend the entire time, what a realized friend is, how to get them into a place where you have a Christ conversation, and you can take that into a chariot meeting and actually earn the opportunity and the right to share your faith, all right? So what I want to do is, I think Brett's going to come back up. Uh, we want to open it up just quickly for an opportunity for any questions. Uh, we're going to do this, hopefully, uh, at the end of every session. Um, but if there's anything you wanted to ask, I'm going to also, I mean, obviously, Brett, if he has anything to add to it, uh, now would be the time to ask your questions. I'm going to let him uh, talk about it as well. Any questions from that at all? It's really important that you see, um, okay, what you may be asking yourself as well, then, you know, why don't we, why do we need a ministry for that? Well, because nothing works without accountability. That's what the New Testament church is for. Like, if, if you wouldn't leave discipleship up to wishful thinking and trust, okay, then you shouldn't leave evangelism up to wishful thinking and trust. What makes this work 
is that, that there's an accountability structure for it. If, listen guys, this is Laodicea. If we are not holding people accountable to the most difficult thing, the most difficult thing to do in the whole world is to evangelize. If we're not holding people accountable to it, then it isn't going to happen. That, that, that is the point. We have become Calvinistic about evangelism. Yeah. Well, it'll just happen. I'll be on an airplane ride and, and I'll be reading my Bible and somebody will say, uh, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> like, 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 how many times has that happened? We're Calvinists when it comes to evangelism. We're not proactive. We're not, we're not energizing free will. Like, like we're, we're going to have to attack this and I hope that everybody sees it's, it's actually the accountability wing of this that, that makes it happen. There's a guy who's going to Ireland. His name is Alex. He's probably the greatest evangelist yeah. that we know. Yeah, he, he, through Phalanx, he probably leads about three or four people. Would it, is it fair to say a month? Yeah, for sure. He leads about three or four people to month of Christ, Alex does. And, I, and so I set him down one time, and, and I, I, was, I, just, I took him out to eat at a place called Tony Paco's. Um, if you've seen MASH, you probably know what Tony Paco's is. But if not, if you don't even know what MASH is, that means you're young and I hate you. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I asked him, what does, he, what does he do? And he said, I know that I'm going to be accountable in our monthly meeting. Because what Eric does over there is Eric, the, 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 the missionaries that are going to go with Eric, they have to present a... They have to go into a meeting once a week like this, and they have to present their board and their movement. And then once a month, the entire team has to meet with me to go over their four meetings of how this has gone with Eric. That's how we run it at Wildwood. We have, I have weekly sessions um, with, the, with the Phalanx leaders, and then we have once a month sessions where the leaders actually meet in homes with the people in their phalanx and then we have quarterly group meetings about it and um, he, he I asked Alex man what are you doing what is your success and he and this is what he said he said I, I have figured something out about the Great Commission if you're not consistently hanging out with people that you would never be hanging out with were it not for the Great Commission you're not fulfilling the Great Commission He goes, that's it. And I just thought, man, I could have had a V8. Again, if you don't know what that is, I hate you. <laughs> if you're not consistently, this is what this guy figured out. If I am not consistently hanging out with people that I would never be hanging out with, were it not for the Great Commission, I'm not filling the Great Commission. What and if... Because this is really where we're going with the whole thing. What and if you spent your entire week and month actually with self-accountability and group accountability? What is the self-accountability? When Eric wakes up on Monday, he already has his schedule. The meetings have already been preset. He doesn't go through catch-as-catch-can on Monday trying to see who he can talk to. What he does is the whole, the, the, the whole goal of Phalanx is, is that the church members, the people that are engaged in it, 
are filling up their next week. So we have a lady in our group, older lady, real quiet. I mean, literally, where you're going to think I'm making this up. She literally wears a shawl. Who even wears a shawl? What is even a shawl? If you don't know, I hate you. Okay? But she literally wears a shawl, and she doesn't talk, and she kept coming to the phalanx meetings, and she never even had, we have a different color for each person, and her color is purple, and I won't give her name, but, well, she's not going to, is this being taped? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I won't give her name. Her name is Dan Renault. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so this, this sweet old lady, Dan, uh, <laughs> she didn't even have a name in the potential friend. And so at the Phalanx group, we, you know, encourage her. And so we told her, well, I don't know anybody. And I have a hard time meeting people. Well, I mean, she sort of looks like a lady who owns too many cats, if you feel me. And so I actually believed her. I believe that she has a hard time meeting people. And so, and so this is what we said. We, well, how do I get a potential friend? I said, well, is there anybody that you know that you're friends with that you would like to get saved? No. Okay, is there anybody in your life that you know of that exists that you would like to get saved? Now, guys, if the answer to that question is no, Phalanx probably isn't for you. <laughs> she was like, well, there's this lady that I work with at the healthcare center. What's her name? Her name is Tammy. Okay, so we made this her goal for Phalanx. For real, this happened. So the next month at the next Phalanx meeting, we want to see Tammy in, in, your, in your color purple on the potential friend list. She was like, well, how do I do that? This was her goal. The group for her monthly project, <coughs> say hi to Tammy and introduce yourself. That was the goal. So she comes back the next month, and we, you know, the group we're in, we've got, we've got Phalanx rock stars in our groups. At least that's what they think. And so they're all into it, you know, and, and it comes down to Tammy. And Tammy would go through the, the first part of the Phalanx meeting, and Tam, or, or, or we go to Dan Renault, and, and it goes to Dan, and we go, okay, Dan Renault, did you, did you say hi? And she goes, yes, I said hi to Tammy. I said, how did it go? She goes, I said, Tammy? She totally blew it. She didn't even know it. <laughs> she goes, she said, Tammy, um, uh, my name is Dan Renault, and I've never really introduced myself to you before. Um, I'm a Christian, and I have a small group that's making me say hello to you. <laughs> and so the girl is like, what? <laughs> so then she starts explaining it, right? Well, there's this group. What does it do? Well, we're trying to lead people to Christ. What does that mean? <laughs> Tammy didn't know it, but she went from potential friend to realized friend. <laughs> She's sharing her faith. She comes back. By the way, <laughs> eight weeks later, that girl got saved. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
and, and, and this is what that lady said. I've introduced myself to people before, but it wasn't until this introduction that I fulfilled the Great Commission. And I said, well, what do you think was the difference? And she said, it was the first time I ever introduced myself to somebody with the strategy of wanting them to get saved. This lady would never have done this without an accountability structure. This lady, by saying hi, actually for the first time in her life, because of her intention behind it, fulfilled the Great Commission. That lady today, she gets up in the morning and she's got Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday meetings of friend-scheduled meetings and faith-scheduled meetings that's already in her schedule. You see, that's the genius. What an if the people in your church could wake up and 88 of them out of 240 could actually have a schedule where on Monday and Wednesday and Friday it's already planned out who they're meeting with and why and on what phase of the friend faith fellowship paradigm are they? That's what we're seeing happen at Wildwood. And we're seeing it with unbelievable success. So we're excited about it. And, 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 and here's what I believe with all my heart. I believe that there are other churches like Midtown, like First Baptist, like Oakland Heights, um, probably not Dan's church, but most <laughs> of the other churches. I'm sorry, bro, I don't mean that. Like... I believe they're evangelizing. I, I, this is not a condemnation of anybody other than what Wildwood was doing. But, but, but if there was a way for you to, a, to a, adapt an actual ministry that held people accountable, that gave them accountability and encouragement and structure, then people are going to start waking up realizing, I've got to give an account for this. And then they're going to get the support and the encouragement that they need to facilitate this. Because even though it's one of the first and only things I learned at Bob Jones University in 1991, uh, evangelistic unction makes orthodoxy function. There isn't a single problem in your church, if you think about it. There is not a single problem in your church that cannot be solved by evangelism. And that, to me, makes it a really, really, really important ministry. Just as a crash pragmatist, forget all the spiritual stuff. I mean, even if you run out of money, Lord, we don't have any money. Well, go fishing. You'll find coins in the... How about that? You got finance problems? Evangelize. You want to have a successful building campaign? Evangelize. You want to send more people out? Evangelize. You want to build discipleship? Evangelize. You want the people to really care about the person they're discipling? Have them disciple someone that they led to the Lord. And, and then you're going to really see it happen. Uh, okay. Love you guys. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.